So today, we are continuing in our series, Mind Blown. Last week, uh, we looked at the topic of predestination. We're just looking at these topics and discovering things about God that will literally blow our minds. And today, we're looking at this uh, topic of assurance. And to get us started, we're actually going to watch a a brief part of a film that's actually one of my favorite stories uh, of all time. It's from Les Mis. Uh, I tried to get them to let me sing a rendition of I Dreamed a Dream, and... They shot that down real fast, so sorry, you guys are really missing out. Uh, but in Les Mis, uh, this, our clip is going to pick up at the very beginning. Um, we have this character, Jean Valjean, uh, who was put into a forced labor camp for 20 years because he stole a piece of bread to try to feed his family, who was living in poverty. Um, and at the beginning of the film, uh, Jean Valjean gets released on probation, but he has these papers which designate him as a condemned criminal. And so as he's going from community to community, he's not being very well received by people. He's actually being shunned by them. But he comes to one community, and he encounters a priest who welcomes him into his home and graciously extends food and lodging and love to him. Um, Let's see how Jean Valjean uh, repays that graciousness. wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed (laughs) that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you.
don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. You know, that, that clip from Les Miserables is a picture of God's mind-blowing proposal. You know, Jean Valjean is all of us, right? Uh, we've all been given a gift, the gift of, of life. Uh, and, and what we do with that, that life, just like Jean Valjean, you know, given the gift of, of, of a warm bed and food by the priest who represents God, and yet out of fear and, and hurt and hatred sown into him by a sinful world, he chooses to actually turn against and do harm to the gift giver. And then he gets caught. And justice, of course, would say that he's guilty, he should be punished, he should pay. That's what's right. But the priest shocks Jean Valjean. Rather than giving him what he deserves, he gives him a gift. And not only forgiveness, even more, he gives him grace. And did you catch what the priest said to Jean Valjean? He said, Jean Valjean, you no longer belong to evil. I've ransomed you back. I give you back to God. And Jean Valjean's response was, why are you doing this? You know, grace is so counterintuitive. It's, it's not natural to our world. And the priest's response is basically this, because Jean Valjean, your only hope is that you accept this gift from God and it changes you. That instead of living out of fear and hatred, you live as a new man out of grace. It's a scandalous, mind-blowing, risky proposal, isn't it? When you really grasp grace, because as we know, Jean Valjean could take that silver and he could squander it and he could, he could continue to do evil. And Gervert, the policeman in this, believes in the law and he believes that lawbreakers don't ever change and he actually ends up hunting down Jean Valjean, but Jean Valjean has actually changed. Grace really has changed him and he even offers grace to Gervert who wants to kill him. And this is a picture of God's mind-blowing proposal to the human problem, grace. But how does grace really work? See, Christianity at the core, it cuts against everything that we assume is normal in this world. You know, so many of us, we live our lives trying to earn our way into God's favor. I know I spent years thinking this way. You know, I, I, I thought, well, God must work in the same way that's normal to us. I didn't realize that God's ways are counterintuitive. They are different than ours. And so I thought, you know, well, when I do right, I please people. When I don't do right, they get angry with me and sometimes just give up on me. And, and I thought, you know, I, I, what I work for is what I get paid. You know, I work hard in school, I get good grades. I, I work hard in athletics, I get to start. So maybe it's the same way with God. If I work hard at being good, maybe on that day when I face God, you know, face to face, he'll say, good enough, good enough. But I started to realize that doesn't give much assurance, does it? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, that's not very assuring. 
because I realize that I do things that are wrong all the time. And so who's to say who is good enough? Who's good and who's bad? I mean, we all know that, that some people are bad, right? I mean, the Timothy McVeighs, the Hitlers, the men who put orange cones on the highway, you know, clearly evil. But where do you go from there? Who's to draw the line? Who's to say? I mean, I remember from a very early age uh, I, being mean to my sister. I remember my, one time I wanted to go play baseball. My mom said, I had made myself a milkshake. I hadn't even thought about her. My mom said, make your sister, make your little sister a milkshake. And I did. A Tabasco milkshake. <laughs> Ever had a Tabasco milkshake? No. You wouldn't like it. She didn't like it either. She cried. Now, that was pure evil. <laughs> it really was. I, she hadn't done anything wrong to me. I had no reason to do that. Why did I do that? He said, well, that's just kid stuff. Well, yeah. But as I grew up, I started to realize, you know, I don't even keep my own moral standards. Why would I think I keep God's moral standards? You know, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that, you know, we do wrong. And many of us, as a result, we just give up trying. You know, you, you might have said, even like I did, well, if I'm damned, I'm going to have a, good, a damn good time getting there. And we just turn from God. We run from God, just like Jean Valjean ran. But that doesn't really change us. That doesn't really help us. And so God says, I have another proposal. Yes, the wages of sin is death. You know, death just means separation. Death of our, of our physical body means our soul separates from our physical body. But spiritual death means our spirit is separated from the very source of life and love, the one who gave us life. The wages of sin is spiritual death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the reason we keep going astray is that we get disconnected from the very source of life and love, God's grace is the solution. For there is one mediator, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, it says in 1 Timothy 2.5. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. God says you've turned from the giver of life. You've turned to go your own way. You haven't been thankful or grateful to, to, to God. And in doing that, we hurt God, we hurt ourselves, we hurt others, whether we realize it or not. But God says, but I'm not going to make you pay. I'm going to pay your ransom myself. You no longer belong to evil. I've ransomed you back. That's what he was doing through the cross of Christ. And it's a gift. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. It's grace. That's grace. You know, I remember the first time I ever heard about this gift, this amazing grace. I remember thinking to myself, that, that's not right. <laughs> that just doesn't make any sense at all. You're telling me that someone who does wrong can just pray a little prayer in their heart and be forgiven and made right with God, and someone who's an even better person but rejects this gift of God is out? That's not fair. That's not right. And for many years, as a result, I too rejected this proposal. But here's the problem. The problem is we think bad behavior is the root issue. God says the root problem is relational. We don't love or trust God relationally. 
And so the solution to the human problem is not trying harder. The solution is relationship with God, restored relationship. Now, I heard an analogy once that helps us understand this mind-blowing grace that God offers. Imagine if you had committed some crime, and, and as a result, you, you, were gonna, you were guilty. You were going to be thrown in jail, all right? And you go before the judge to, be, to hear your, your sentencing, and the judge turns out to be your mother, Judge Judy, or someone like that, right? And, and after hearing your case, you, you, you see your mother get very sad because she realizes you're guilty. And if she's a just judge, she can't say, well, you really screwed up this time. Good, good thing I'm your mom. I'm going to let you off. That's not justice. Justice treats everybody equally fair, right? And so she gets sad, and you hear her slam the gavel down and pronounce you guilty. And you can't believe it because you know you don't have the ability to pay that debt. You will remain in that prison for a long, long time. And yet after your mom slams the gavel down and declares you guilty, she stands up and takes off her robe and she comes down around in front of the bench and she writes out a check and she says, here, I'm going to pay what you owe. Accept it. Give it to the bailiff and come home with me. I don't want you to remain separated from me. That is grace. Now, in our pride, we can still say, I don't need your help. I'll find a way to get out of this. We can do that. We either accept the gift or we reject it. So scripture says this of Jesus' crucifixion. God did this so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith or trust in Jesus. This is a picture of God's scandalous proposal. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he gives us the gift of forgiveness, of grace. You know, Mark Twain understood that this is how, how heaven works. He said, he said this once, heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you'd stay out and your dog would go in. <laughs> That's so true, isn't it? Our dogs obey us better than we obey God. And yet, God says, I'm going to pay your moral debts, past, present, and even future. And why? Why would he do this risky, scandalous thing? So that you can know. So that you and I can know we're safe with God. So we can have assurance that we're right with God. So that we will no longer live in fear, but we will live in trust of God who can lead us and guide us and actually change us. And Jean Valjean was changed. And we too can let grace change us. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved or set right with God through faith. It's, it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You got to understand this. Our deeds, our good works, they don't earn us favor with God. We don't prove our worth to God. God has already proven your worth to him by giving Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me. And what he wants is our faith, our trust in him, our wills, our love, our wholehearted allegiance to follow him because then he can lead us into a new life. That's the solution, he says. So on the one hand, the scriptures teach very clearly, you don't have to worry or wonder, or wonder if you're accepted and adopted as God's very own. It's very simple. 
Put your faith or your trust in God and this grace offered through Christ and you belong to him. Nothing will ever change that. Have you ever told God that? Have you ever just simply recognized that, yeah, I don't keep my own moral standards, much, much less yours, something's wrong. I'm separated. I've turned from the very one who gave me life. Have you ever said, I want what Jesus did to count for me? When he died on the cross, I want that forgiveness and I want your leadership. That's all it takes, a decision of the heart. And God knows the heart. But some people will say, okay, but if a person prays a prayer to receive God's, God's grace, all right, and they're saved, they're set right with God, are you saying then they can just live like hell? It doesn't matter? Well, it's not as simple as a simple yes or no. Let me explain, because this is part of the mind-blowing grace of God. Some people claim to have faith. They'll say, I'm a Christian, or I believe, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's authentic faith. Because, you know, there are plenty of people historically who have claimed to be Christians, but the truth is, they haven't followed Jesus at all. Not, a, not at all. And so there's this tension that James, Jesus' brother, talks about in James 2.14 that says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, keep warm, be fed, but does nothing to actually help their physical needs. What good is that? In other words, what good is it to mentally say something, but it doesn't translate into any action? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So authentic faith, a, a, a true trust in God, James is saying, is alive. It, it grows, and it really does change us. Over the years, people will start to see a difference. It motivates a new response, a God-inspired response. It motivates new engagement, you know, with people's needs, a, a God-directed engagement. It motivates a heart of compassion and love and desire for justice. It motivates a willingness to respond morally and ethically and financially in new ways because God's Spirit is leading us into a new life as we trust Him more and more. And sometimes faith or trust in God is difficult. It's demanding. It's not just business as usual with a little sprinkling of Jesus on top. That's not authentic faith. So James goes on to say, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. In other words, true faith, true trust in God is not just mentally saying God exists. He says the demons believe that, scares them to death because they know it's true. But they don't trust God. They don't follow Jesus. They don't follow his will. So he's saying true faith produces good deeds that change us over time. All right, so that's confusing, right? You know, on the one hand, are we set right with God and, or, or saved by faith or by deeds? It's by faith. It says not as a result of works, right? It's a gift from God. So that's very clear. But what we also have to realize is that you haven't really received a gift if you never use it. I mean, think about it. What if, what if you gave me a, a brand new Ford Mustang? 
I like those. I'd be really happy about that, right? And, 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 I, and I, I don't, if it's a gift, I don't have to work for it. All I have to do is receive it. Just accept it. But what if you gave me this brand new Ford Mustang, you drive it over and you park it in front of my house and I say thank you and I never ever touch it. I don't drive it. I don't let anybody drive it. Have I really received your gift? No. You gave me this car to use, to benefit me. I didn't, I didn't really receive your gift. And I think that's why Jesus once said this in Matthew seven twenty: just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Wait, what? This is getting confusing, isn't it? You know, you're saying, I thought you said it was a gift by faith, not dependent on what we do. Yes, that's true. But true faith changes us. It does. And Paul and Isaiah, they both say, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved or set right with him. That's all it takes. Okay, that's all it takes. If we truly trust God, if we truly receive his forgiveness and restored relationship, that's all, it, that's all he needs. And only he knows what's in your heart. And only you know what's in your heart, right? But what he's saying is that relationship over time will start to produce fruit. The fruit of God's spirit. More love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and obedience to God. Those things will start to grow within us. So it's not a matter of trying hard to do good works. It's a matter of loving and trusting God more. It's a heart that's willing and God does something in and through us that actually starts to change us. Relationship with God. That's the solution to the human problem. But I think that's also why Jesus says, uh, in Matthew 7, 23, you know, he says, many of you will say to me on that day, didn't I do this or do that in your name? And then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Okay, now don't miss, it's so important. Notice the issue wasn't what you did or didn't do. The issue is, I never knew you. In other words, He's saying, you didn't really give your heart and your life to me. You didn't really open up to relationship with God. You were just doing a religious game in my name, and that's not God's solution to the human problem. In fact, religious game playing produces, at, at, at best, slander of Jesus' name, and at worst, the kinds of things like the Crusades or the killing fields of Rwanda or the massacre of Native Americans or the crucifixion of Jesus, all in the name of God. All in the name of God. So can we really know that we know that we know that we're forgiven, adopted by God as God's children and he will never cast us out? Absolutely. You can know. You can know. Jesus promised us that. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. God wants you to be secure as you trust him, as you follow him. And that produces good fruit more and more over time. So if you've trusted Christ 
for your salvation, then trust him with everything more and more. Don't hold back because God has good plans for you. He created you and me to do good works. And that's why God makes us safe. That's why he assures us we're right with him. So we'll follow him and trust him and do the good deeds he planned for us all along. He wants to lead you into life. You know, I I think about when my son Justin was three years old. Um, We were out hiking out by Lake Travis and, and we came upon this mountain. It wasn't really a mountain, it's a hill, but you know, to us explorers, it's a mountain, right? And we're walking along this creek, and I look at my little three-year-old, and I said, hey, buddy, want to climb that mountain? And he looks at the creek that we'd have to cross, and he looks up the steep bank, and he goes, is it safe, Dad? I think, how old are you, son? Of course it's safe. Come on, let's go. And so he jumps on my back, and I cross the stream, and we start climbing up this, up this steep embankment. And I'm carefully holding him. I'm, I'm holding his arm. I'm holding a branch. I'm, I'm going up behind him to make sure he doesn't slip. But he gets up there high enough. And you know how, it, you know, it, when you look down, it always looks steeper looking down than up, right? And my son looks down and he goes, Dad, are we going to be safe? And I think, man, your mom really drilled this safety thing into you, didn't she? <laughs> And, and what was happening is my son realized in his own power, he didn't have the ability to keep himself safe. And so I said to him, you know, Justin, you're right. If you were up here alone, this is not safe for you. But you're not alone. Your dad is with you. I'm holding on and I'm holding on to you and, and I'm not going to let go. You're going to be safe. And we kept going and we made it up to the top and father and son looked out over the beauty of God's creation, saw this, you know, just beautiful scenery together. And then we went back down and we got home and Justin goes up to his mom right away and said, mom, we climbed a mountain together. His mom said, that sounds dangerous and kind of looked at me, you know. (laughs) And then Justin said, no, mom, it was safe. It was safe. Every day you and I wake up, we face dangers. Some of them known, most of them unknown. You know, we face the challenges of the workplace, perils of parenthood, insecurities of singleness, the frailties of good fortune. We face a world that doesn't forgive us for many failures. We fail ourselves. We fail each other. We fail God. On our own, it's not safe. It's not safe. The world can be a very dangerous, unsafe place. But you can know, even as you face the unsafe perils of the mountainous slopes of life, even though your feet may slip along the way, you can know the Father is with you. You are his beloved child, and he will never let you go. You can know that. And the scriptures tell us again and again, you can be assured you're secure in the grip of the Father eternally. 1 John 5.11 says this. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe or trust in the name of the son of God so that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. If you believe, if you've put your trust in Christ, and only you and God know if that's sincere, the message of Scripture over and over, this universe is a safe place for you. Safe. And you know, if you're not sure that you're right with God, 
that you are safe with him for all eternity, here's all you need to do. Jesus said it. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You're not sure? Come to him. In your heart, turn to him. Tell him you want relationship and forgiveness, and that's all he requires. Come to him. He'll never drive you away. And just think of how God then wants us to live. Those of us who have received this assurance, think of how God wants us to live because we know that we know that we know that we're safe, that we're right with God, we're right with the universe, and nothing can ever change that. Shouldn't that lead us to the most freeing feeling in the world? I mean, when you screw up, you don't have to fear God anymore. You you don't have to turn from God and run. You're safe. You're forgiven. You can turn back to him immediately so he can help you grow and not keep falling and failing. You'll change. And you can take new risks that you would otherwise be afraid to take because ultimately you're safe. You're safe in the Father's hands. You can experience more life than you've ever experienced because there's nothing to fear. You don't need to fear. You're safe eternally. You wouldn't be anxious about losing everything because ultimately there's no catastrophic loss that God hasn't protected against for eternity. You have new freedom to love and take relational risks because he loves you and he'll never take his love away. Ultimately, you're safe. And that's how grace works. Grace changes us.